Um, I'd like to start uh, this morning by reading to you uh, a very short story. Are you sitting comfortably? And so I'll begin. A long time ago, in a remote valley, there lived a farmer. One day, he got tired of the daily routine of running the farm and decided to climb the cliffs that brooded above the valley to see what lay beyond. He climbed all day until he reached the ledge, just below the top of the cliff there. To his amazement was a nest full of eggs. Immediately, he knew they were eagles' eggs. And even though he knew it was almost certainly illegal, he carefully took one and stowed it in his pack. Then, seeing that the sun was low in the sky, he realized it was too late in the day to make the top and slowly began to make his way down the cliff to his farm. When he got home, he put the egg in with a few chickens he'd kept in the yard. The mother hen was the proudest chicken you ever saw, sitting atop this magnificent egg, and the cockerel couldn't have been prouder. Sure enough, some weeks later, from the egg emerged a fine, healthy eaglet. And as in the gentle nature of chickens, they didn't look twice at the stranger in their midst and raised the majestic bird as one of their own. So it was that the eagle grew up with its brother and sister chicks. It learned to do all the things that chickens do. It clucked and cackled, scratching in the dirt for grit sandworms and flapping its wings furiously just to fly a few meters in the air before crashing back to the earth in dust and feathers. It believed resolutely and absolutely that it was a chicken. One day, late in its life, the eagle, who thought he was a chicken, happened to look up in the sky and high overhead, soaring majestically and effortlessly on the winds with scarcely a single beat of its powerful golden wings, was an eagle. What's that? cried the old eagle in awe. It's magnificent. So much power and grace. It's beautiful. That's an eagle, replied a nearby chicken. That's the king of the birds. It's a bird of the year. Not for the likes of us. We're only chickens. We're birds of the earth. With that, they all cast their eyes downwards once more and continued digging in the dirt. And so it was that the eagle lived and died a chicken, because that's all it believed itself to be. If I may say, I believe that there are a number of us here that are living as chickens, when we're meant to be soaring high and free in the sky as eagles. And so my question this morning is, do you know who you are? Now, for those of you that know me, uh, you will know that I love films. And uh, a few years ago, we decided to purchase a soundbar. Now, prior to the, uh, the age of the soundbar, we had the Dolby surround system, the 3.1 and the 5.1. Some of you may know what I'm talking about here. And what these were were speakers that we put in our lounge in all the corners of the room, and there was a big subwoofer. Uh, that kicked out a lot of bass, and it, made, it gave you that cinematic feel. It made it feel like you was watching a movie in the cinema. And with technology moving on, we now have these sound bars, which look a lot more presentable, that sit either above or below the TV. And they have generally three speakers in them, which throw the sound from left to right in the center. They're absolutely fantastic. So we purchased one of those, 
And believe me when I tell you, it was movie night at the Ellis household. <laughs> it really was. And it was going really well. Up until a couple of weeks in, we realized that the soundbar wasn't working properly. It sounded distorted, and I believe it was only working on one half of the bar. And so, of course, what we did was is we took it back to the shop that we purchased it from and uh, explained the situation. And um, I had expected the, uh, the shop assistant to, to fix the problem and that we'd take the soundbar home and it would be back to movie night. But the look on the shop assistant's face told me that that wasn't the case at all. In fact, what he said was is that it needs to go to the manufacturer to be repaired. And to make it worse, he said it could be out of action for the next eight to 10 weeks. So we waited patiently for 10 weeks, and the soundbar came back. And when it came back, it actually sounded better than it did than the first time when we bought it and we listened to it. Similar to our soundbar, some of, some of us have a distorted view of ourselves. And the only way to correct this distortion is to go back to the manufacturer in order for us to find our true identity. So how do we do this? John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we are to discover who we really are, we need to go through Jesus to the Father. When God created us, he created us to be in relationship with him as his sons and daughters. But since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, as a human race, we've been disconnected from God. And it's for that reason why Jesus came, to bring us back into relationship with our Creator. And that's why Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. John 1, 12 reads, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become a child of God. They are reborn, not of a physical birth, but of a birth that comes from God. Now, in today's society, identity theft is becoming a real concern. It affects some 500,000 victims a year. And all that's needed to commit these crimes is a name, a date of birth, and a current and previous address. And as a result of that, thousands of pounds and identities are often frequently stolen. But this isn't something new. This is something that's been happening for centuries. And Paul, in the Bible, showed his concern for this spiritual identity theft that was happening to the church in Colossae. Now, Colossians is the 12th book in the New Testament, and it's a letter written by Paul to the church sharing his concerns. And what had happened is the church had had a surge of new believers that was making a promising start to their new journey with Christ up until they came into contact with these false teachers. And these false teachers had managed to persuade some of the members that they weren't experienced or qualified in the fullness of spiritual truths and consequently led a number of them astray. They promoted legalism with new rules, rituals, and regulations, which was completely outside of their identity in Christ. Paul knew that these false teachers were spiritual thieves. And he also knew that the further these new believers continued down this road of deceit, the further away they would be from God's promises. 
And that's why Paul writes to them and says to them in Colossians 3, So, if you have been raised with Christ, seat the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For many of us, we're lost. And we've lost sight of our identity in Christ. Society, culture, and advertising do a fantastic job of trying to convince us who we are. They tell us that our worth is found in what we do and in what we have. They try and tell us that our security is found in money, power, status, and in good health. And they also try and tell us that we should always look out for number one and not be too concerned with everyone else. This was my story. Some of you may be aware that um, I used to work in education, and I was in education for 13 years. And I did reasonably well. I uh, became a middle manager, and my focus was to move to the next level, to become an assistant head teacher. That was my driving force. That was my motivation. And actually, that became my life. It became my identity. My worth and my value, I thought, was in what I did instead of who I am. And God reminded me, as John was talking about being remembered, God reminded me that my identity and my security is hidden in him. And this is the point that Paul makes to the, uh, the, the church at Colossae when he says in verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul was referring to us dying to the unimportant things of this world and pursuing a new life that is hidden in Jesus, similar to when Jesus died and was raised again from the dead. The reason we seek these things that are above is because our real identity is not held by anything on this earth, but now exists with Christ in heaven. Our identity is not held by a passport, it's not held by a postcode, or a career, and it's not even held by our parents. When we come to faith in Christ, our identity is changed. Whoever we were before is now transformed into the person God created us to become by his grace. In April last year, a newspaper um, released an article uh, about the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and a DNA test um, was taken, which uh, transpired that the man that he thought was his biological father actually wasn't. And that, Justin's words, was quite a surprise and quite a shock. But I think that the way in which Justin responds to that, or the archbishop, I should say, responds to that, sums up this whole point in terms of Jesus being the way and our identity. He said, I know that I find who I am in Jesus Christ, not in genetics. And my identity in him never changes. This brings me on to my second point this morning. And uh, Jesus, of course, is the way, but he is also the truth. The truth about who we are 
is found in Jesus. And of course, we've discussed that, or we've established that Jesus is the way for us finding our identity in him. But he is also the truth that brings us into all truth of who we really are in him. Now, I have to disclose a secret to you. I have to let you know something at this point. And the truth is, Christians lie. (laughs) Sorry, it's true. Not all of us, but some of us, we lie. And the person we lie to the most is often ourselves. We cannot find our true selves if we are lying to ourselves. Psalms 51, verse 6, and reading from the Amplified says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part of my heart you make me know wisdom. The points that I'm going to make from this point forward pretty much hang on this verse. Now, early in my faith journey, when I was a younger Christian, I remember being around friends and people that would often say, I heard God speak to me today. God said this to me, and God said that, and God said this. And I remember being there thinking to myself, really? Because I haven't heard God say anything to me. I've got no idea what that sounds like. There used to be an advert on the television from the National Lottery, and a finger would pop the sky and point to an individual and say, it's you. And I used to think that that's the way how God was going to speak to me. I was expecting a voice from heaven to come and speak to me and say, David. Uh, And it never happened. And God showed me that he speaks to me through truth. And he speaks to us all through truth. The problem is, of course, sometimes the truth hurts. Especially when God uses someone to speak the truth that we really don't want to hear the truth from. Some of you may know that I, uh, I work at the Carpenter's Arms, which is a Christian drug and alcohol rehabilitation center for men. And uh, often what we do is we have one-to-one key working sessions with the guys. But the initial meeting that we have with the guys, we often emphasize the importance of speaking the truth and being truthful. We recognize that it's important to be honest and to be true. Why? Because we also know that the Holy Spirit, also known as the Spirit of Truth, will speak truth to us. And if we're not being honest with ourselves, we will often miss what God is trying to communicate to us. Another thing we often say there at the Carpenters is that um, the truth trumps everything. Our children have uh, some top trump cards that they like to play at home, and uh, they have categories, and uh, they'll read each other uh, the categories on each card, and whoever has the highest value in their category wins the card. And it's very similar to top trumps with the truth, because the truth trumps everything. The truth trumps guilt. The truth trumps shame. The truth trumps embarrassment. And if we allow ourselves to be truthful, we allow God to speak to us. And what that does is shows us who we are, but also who we can become. So why do we lie to ourselves and others about who we are? Well, according to Google, 
Insecurity, the word insecurity means uncertainty or anxiety about oneself. A lack of confidence. In other words, fear. It also states that it's the state of being open to danger or threat. A lack of protection. In other words, vulnerability. The reality is, many of us are frightened of being known. We think if people knew the real me, that they won't be loved and accepted. And this causes us to hide away in darkness. Insecurity can find ourselves feeling alone, for no one knows us as we truly are, only as we have made ourselves to be. So in public, we present in one way, but behind closed doors, we, pre we present in another. And insecurity can cause us to trade in our authenticity for approval and to sacrifice integrity for acceptance. When we know who we truly are, we are free to live from a place of security, fulfilling all he has called us to. And our relationships with others are also authentic and real. God will often speak truth to us. Often he will do this through others. But if we are not secure in who we are in Christ, we fail to hear the truth and rob ourselves of growth opportunities and of experiencing true freedom. When we are secure in being fully known and loved by God, then we allow, we allow ourselves to be fully known by others. Now, I've asked a few friends of mine to come and help me to uh, illustrate this point further. So, uh, you, why don't we give them a round of applause as they come to the stage, actually. <laughs> come on, John, you can take a seat. Stand here. So, what we have here is a continuum, a line. And at this end of the continuum, just to say that this isn't a reflection on their characters, this is just an illustration, just to, just to make you aware before we go any further. But who we have here is uh, inferiority. And what happens with inferiority is they look at themselves as less. They see themselves as, or, or, or they lack confidence, and they don't see themselves as being anyone of importance. They see that they, uh, or they think that they can't achieve anything that God has placed in them. And that within itself is a lie. And what that does is diminish the gift that God has given to us. And we're effectively saying, you're not good enough, God. In what you've made in me, you're not good enough. And over here, at this end of the continuum, we have superiority. <laughs> and this guy thinks he's the best thing. <laughs> This guy thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. No one can do anything better than him. He, thi <laughs> he thinks he's absolutely amazing. But the reality is with this, both superiority and inferiority are both postures of pride. And pride, of course, is when we think of ourselves more or less than we actually are. But when we're centered with Jesus, we're hidden in him. 
And if you're looking at me straight on, you'll see Jesus in me. And when we're in Jesus, then our focus is how it should be. A famous speaker, Christian speaker, by the name of um, Christine Kane said that freedom comes when we see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. When we see ourselves the way Jesus sees us, we're centered with him. And we also look at inferiority and superiority, and we see that actually these are postures of pride, but not only are they postures of pride, we have grace and compassion for them. And we also have grace and compassion for ourselves because we recognize at any point within a day, we can be here and then we can move to here. And it can just be a word. Someone can say something to us that makes us move from feeling superior to making us feeling inferior. And it's not until we center ourselves with Jesus that we get to find out who we really are. When we're centered in Jesus, we're fully known and we're secure in our identity in him. Thank you, guys. I wonder, where on that continuum are you this morning? Where on that continuum are you? Where are you? Because it's a sliding scale. We can be anywhere at any moment. If we're going to find who we really are, we need to be asking some honest questions of ourselves. And we need to allow God through others to do the same. When we allow God to speak truth to us, we then start to discover who we really are. And it's then that the discipleship process can really begin. Tim Keller, uh, the theologian, puts it like this. He says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known but not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well... A lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. When we understand that we are truly loved by God, we no longer have to hide who we really are because we understand that we're fully known, accepted, chosen, and truly loved. And this becomes our security. So how do we do this? How do we become centered with God? Last week, um, John Wright uh, spoke about grace. And in his talk, he mentioned spiritual disciplines. And he uh, likened it to uh, someone training for a marathon. And that the discipline, uh, in many ways, is very similar to the spiritual disciplines in pursuing God. And what that is, is it requires effort. And so it is when we're pursuing God in spiritual disciplines. I believe that the disciplines that John spoke about, about solitude and uh, fasting and, and silence and all of these things are things that allow us to become centered with God. And they allow us to have a correct perspective of ourselves and who we are. A book that you may have heard a lot about, especially here at Trent, is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro, and it's a great book to start with. Sarah, my wife, and I often speak about this book, and when we uh, talk about it, we say it's a book that you can't read. 
you have to read the book. You can't just read the book. You've got to read the book. And the emphasis on the read is that after you've read a chapter, you reflect on what you've read and allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth into you and reveal to you whatever it is he wants to reveal. It's not a book that you can read through just to say that I've read the book, but it's a book that you have to read and take time with. And following on from that, there's an emotionally healthy spirituality book called The Day by Day. And what that is, it's a book that you read, and the whole premise of it really is that you find time within your busy schedule to stop and to be with God. And it is more about a being with God. It's about practicing God's presence. It's about being still and hearing what God might want to say. And sometimes it's just about being in his presence. And that can be a really difficult thing to do. This is something that I try and do. And uh, as you know, John spoke about when he first started punching his bag last week, I'm sure some of you remember, I remember when I first started running, and the first time I was training for a half marathon, I was determined to do it. And I ran out, and I ran around the block, and in my mind, I'd run 10 miles. In actual fact, I'd run half a mile. <laughs> and I came back, and I was panting hard. Sarah was thinking she was going to need to call the ambulance for me. It was really bad. But over time, it got easier, and it got better. And so it is with spiritual disciplines. The more we set aside time to be with God, the easier it becomes to hear his voice when he speaks truth to us. In my time of solitude with God recently, uh, God revealed a truth to me. And it stems from Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet. And a prophet is someone that speaks the inspired truth of God. And Jeremiah himself was a young prophet that had insecurities. He felt that he was too young. He felt that he couldn't proclaim the truth of God to people because they wouldn't listen to him. And God said to him, I knew you from before you were formed in your mother's womb. And God reminded me that that is true of me. And that is true of all of us. God knows us before we even know ourselves. We're born with our identity hidden in him. The enemy, also known as the father of lies, also knows who we are. And the revelation is this, that when we're born, we're born to grow into our identity. But the enemy is a great strategist, and he causes strife and discord in our lives. So, for example, a child may be born, and uh, they may experience domestic violence in the house, and the child may, internal, may internalize that it's because of them why their parents are fighting. And that's a layer over their identity. That child then grows and goes to school and experiences bullying. Their self-esteem is low, another layer over their identity. As that child grows up, it may be that the father leaves the home, and again, that child internalizes it, another layer, another lie over who they really are. And this is what happens as we grow. There's layer on top of layer on top of layer that buries our true identity. We see this with Jesus. When Jesus was led into the wilderness, 
when the enemy, the father of lies, approaches him, he says to him, if you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. The enemy knew exactly who Jesus was, but yet his his opener is, if you are, and he says it twice. And so if this is what Jesus experienced, how much more us? The interesting thing about that story is that Jesus' response to the father of lies is, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And what Jesus did is he quoted the truth from the Old Testament. He used the truth in the Bible to speak back to the enemy. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you haven't read this book, that this is the book that you will find all truth. This is the book that you, where you will find who you are. You'll find your identity in this book as a child of God. And you will also find who God is in reading this book. When we allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth to us, he cuts through all these layers like an onion cut into the core of who we really are. So I just want to ask you a few questions this morning. And the first one is, are there any earthly things that you're looking to to find your identity that you need to surrender? Are there any layers that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you that need removing? And are you allowing yourself to be known? You may be here this morning anonymously. You may have been coming to Trent for quite a while. And in a church this size, it's very easy to sit at the back and be anonymous. But I want to encourage you this morning to be known. And the way to be known is by connecting with a small group. And at the end of the service at the back, at the connect area, I'd like to encourage you to go and inquire of a small group near you. Because the Christian journey was never intended to be walked alone. And within a small group, you'll find like-minded people that will walk this journey with you. Which will allow you to be known and to be yourself. So my third point this morning is Jesus, of course, is the life. It's through Jesus and the security of our identity being hidden in him that we can live the life that we were created to live, free. And often, in a sermon at this time, the words are usually uttered, as I come into land. I think the opposite is true this morning. And I think the words need to be, as we spread our wings to take flight. To use another bird analogy, I feel very much that some of us have been in a birdcage And within that birdcage, we've been there for a while. And this morning, there's an opportunity for that cage to be opened for you to fly free. For others, it's a case of that cage door's been opened, but we're still sitting in the cage on the perch. We're not letting ourselves go free. Because being free can be frightening. And for others, again, 
It's a case of some of us have already flown out of the, out of the cage momentarily to come back in. Because being out there can be a little bit frightening as well. I feel very much that God wants to set us to flight this morning. Romans 5 verse 1 said that it is for freedom that Christ has come to set us free. It's for freedom. So why is discovering our identity so important then? What's, what, what's so important about this? It's not just about making us feel good. It's not just about giving us a, a, a boost. But there's got to be more to it than this. And I think the answer to this question is pretty much summed up in Romans 8, 19, reading from the Amplified Version. And it says, For even the whole creation, all nature, waits eagerly for the children of God to be revealed. It's important that we discover who we are because the world is waiting for us to show up. The world is waiting for us to turn up so that we can confidently point Jesus, point people to Jesus and show them that there's got to be more to life than this. With freedom comes responsibility. Responsibility to bring others towards Jesus so that they too can be set free. It's bigger than us. As it was for the eagle that thought it was a chicken, that looked up and saw God's glory, splendor, and magnificence displayed in another eagle, so it will be when the world looks at us. 